It is so good to see so many familiar faces this morning and many faces that I don't recognize as well. Uh, welcome if you are visiting with us, and I mean that. I hope you feel welcome and that uh, you experience and see that Christ is exalted, that his word is upheld uh, in our midst together uh, as we worship. And it's that word that we turn to this morning, the gospel according to Mark. Turn in your Bibles, it's also printed for you there in your order of service. Mark's Gospel is considered, it's considered to be the oldest of the Gospels that we have, uh, and it's the most succinct. There's very little explanation in Mark of the events that are happening or theology behind those events. Uh, Mark just moves immediately, immediately from one event to the next in the life of, of Jesus. And so it really leaves the readers like you and I this morning, with questions to answer. Well, who is Jesus? What did he come to do? And as we read, whether it's the Gospel of Mark or the other Gospels, it doesn't take us long to figure out that to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus, understand what he's doing and saying, it didn't come all that easy. In fact, it was was rather difficult. Being a disciple was hard. We see the disciples don't get it very easily. They don't get his teachings. They don't get the point behind his miracles. And even though they're captivated by his his power, their mission and goal for Jesus seems to be a little different than uh, what he is unveiling to them. So being a disciple is hard. And that's, that's one of the underlying messages of Mark's gospel. It's demanding. And as we follow Jesus the cross, we did Thursday night into Friday, uh, what do we see from his disciples? Betrayal, um, denial, abandonment. Jesus is left so very alone as he goes to that cross. It makes us tremble, like tomorrow just saying. Um, and the most faithful characters that that seem to follow Jesus are those that we would never expect in Mark's gospel, like women. And that's not derogatory for you ladies. Women were treated very differently in this context, in Jewish context. Characters like a Roman centurion or a member of the Sanhedrin caring for Jesus' body. So Mark is telling us to expect the unexpected when it comes to following Jesus. So the ones who get it may not uh, be the ones that we would expect. So we're going to read the first eight verses of Mark chapter 16. Really is picking up from uh, verse 40 of chapter 15. Mark introduces the women who were a part of uh, the scene here. And then he sandwiches some more verses in there, of the burial, and then we pick it up again in chapter 16. I'm going to ask you to stand with me before you get too comfortable as I read the first eight verses. Mark says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. 
And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, or excuse me, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has not risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask, we ask humbly that you would imprint this word upon our hearts, that you would teach us, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts together would be pleasing. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, they crucified him, they killed him, it was the same man who had healed other men, who had healed women and children of their diseases, it was the same man who spread out his hands and said, peace, be still, and the wind and the waves went silent, it was the same man who brought freedom to those possessed by demons. It was the same man who rode into Jerusalem to shouts of Hosanna just a week ago, who cleansed the temple. The same man who by his very words and actions put himself on an equal plane in the same authority as the Creator God. And they killed him. Wise teacher, prophet, the great healer is dead. In spite of all those things that he did, all those things that he said, maybe Jesus didn't quite have what it takes to really really lead people, to really drive his message home. I mean, they needed somebody to stand up to the, the Roman thugs of the time. Couldn't do that. But he sure knew how to aggravate people even to get himself killed in fairly short order. Maybe he doesn't have what it takes. You may remember the scandal that took place in uh, Washington, D.C. This is the early 70s. If I say scandal in Washington, you'd be thinking, well, which one? Early 70s. Uh, There was a break-in to, uh, I think it was the Democratic Party headquarters, the Watergate Hotel. And, uh, you know, the the cover-up for this would eventually lead to uh, President Nixon's uh, resignation and Several of his aides uh, in Washington uh, went to federal prison uh, because of this. And several years ago now, one of the chief operatives uh, during this time, during the scandal, he he spent four years in prison and then he was released and he went on a speaking tour uh, after that. And he spent some time in in Missouri uh, talking to a group of college students. And uh, throughout his speech, he continued to drive home that it it was force. It was power, violence, ironclad will that earns the respect of your friends and even your enemies. That's what works. And there was someone sitting in the audience and they're kind of thinking, well, that sounds a little little strong, a little harsh. And that person didn't say anything, but the colleague uh, during the question and answer time stood up and said, well, excuse me, sir, 
um, I, I think I understand what, what you're saying and, and the use of force and things may, may be necessary by the government, but um, you know, many in our country place their ethics on the, the teachings of Jesus, and that doesn't sound so much like the teachings of Jesus. And the man just glared at him. He says, yeah. And look at what happened to Jesus. They crucified him. Dead silence. And then, applause. Thunderous applause from everyone in the audience. That was it. That was their answer. They crucified him. Nice try, Jesus, but that is not the way we want to go. They killed him, and end of the story. And friends, I tell you this morning, if this is the end of the story, uh, then you as a church have called me in vain. I'll tell the session tomorrow that it's time to go. We can close the doors and we can all leave if that is the end of the story. If the last word is, they killed him, then that puts us all in a very morbid state, a very hopeless and desperate state as human beings, not just those of us in this room, but around this community and around the world. And we are lost. We must, we must seriously consider if the great teacher and healer and prophet is dead, then we need to consider our very purpose for life. And if that makes you a little uncomfortable this morning, um, if it makes your heart ache just a little bit, then we're, then we're tracking together. Because there, there are millions, millions of people around the world. They're living right here in this community. They may even be sitting here this morning who believe that when death comes, that's it. There's game over at that point. And I think some of us may not believe this openly. We wouldn't say that but we live our lives like we do believe that. We live like Jesus is dead. You know, grabbing all we can, living as comfortably as we can, exerting as much power and influence as we can, because this is it. Church family, those of you who may be visiting this morning, the text right in front of us, along with three other gospel accounts, along with dozens of eyewitnesses, along with a church that has grown exponentially, over the years, tells us that death does not have the last word. No one teaches this more beautifully than a four-year-old. It's been a few years since my youngest was four years old. Do you remember those little resurrection eggs? Some of you maybe have used those around this time. And each one of them, you open it up, and there's a little something inside it that talks about Jesus' life and his ministry. So the first one, I think, is a little some straw for the manger scene, and maybe some donkey hair down the road. Well, my daughter was opening up these eggs, and she came to the last one. And uh, she opened it up, and of course, there's nothing in the last egg. And so she popped it open, and she says, well, Jesus didn't stay dead forever. <laughs> Amen. That's exactly right. There's nothing inside the egg, and there's nothing inside the tomb for the women to see when they show up. Hallelujah, the tomb is empty. And that's why we've gathered. That's why we celebrate on a morning like this. 
It's not the end of the story. But I want us to think for a few minutes of what that means for us. What do we learn about ourselves from this event and the response we see at the empty tomb? And we see through the attitude, the actions of these women who arrived at the tomb, and I think it's verified by our own experience that we approach life much more like grave diggers than tomb raiders. We're going to flesh that out a little bit. We need grave diggers. There's a time for that, certainly. Uh, but we're going to see how grave diggers become tomb raiders through this passage. Uh, so three women who um, make this morning journey to the tomb. Uh, we know them. We don't know them real well uh, from the story. Mary Magdalene is a woman that Jesus had healed and is following after him. Mary, the mother of James, is also the other Mary, uh, if you were to look in, in different Gospels. It's possible that this is Jesus' aunt, uh, married to Joseph's uh, brother. Uh, And then Salome is either a Galilean woman who followed Jesus and was there at his crucifixion. It's possible that she is the mother of the sons of Zebedee, uh, as recorded in Matthew 27. Uh, So we don't know uh, with certainty, but it's, it's likely that these women are family connected with Jesus. We see them coming on the the first day of the Sabbath, or the sunrise after the Sabbath day. Uh, So that makes the resurrection of Jesus on the Sunday morning, Um, a morning that rabbis would later refer to as the day of the Christians. Okay, So it's that very reason that we are sitting here right now, not yesterday morning or a different day throughout the week. It all has its roots in the historical event of the resurrection. But it's also clear that they are coming to see a body. They ask, who who will roll away the stone? They are very convinced that Jesus remains just where he was a couple days earlier. They came with sadness. They came with grief. They loved Jesus. They wanted to, to honor him, show their devotion to him, mourn over his body. How do we know this? Verse 1, they brought spices to anoint his body. These spices were probably oils, herbs that were very costly. It helped to keep the stench down a little bit, maybe slow that decaying process. They were coming prepared to face death, to face a body. It was painful, and they were suffering through this. Um, you know, this is a loss and grief that we know well. Some of you know this very well. We face it every day. The reality of death in a broken world. Death is the the mortal enemy of God's peace, of his shalom. We can never be at peace with death. Um, I knew a couple in uh, St. Louis. uh, They shared their story on a number of occasions. Uh, They had prayed for many years that God would give them a child. And uh, in time, the Lord answered that prayer in the way that they had prayed. Uh, We know he answers prayer, but this time he did grant them a child. Uh, And they loved uh, Andrew uh, as as their only uh, son. And uh, he brought great joy to their lives. He was very successful academically. And when I say that, I mean perfect ACT score. Uh, He was a presidential scholar. He had been accepted to MIT, Harvard, and Yale by the age of 15. Um, It was also about that time that they discovered stage 4 cancer. And Andrew. And the Lord, the Lord called him home. 
at 15 years old. Um, can you imagine that? The, the, the pain of death. Um, the mourning that comes at the grave. And this is something that we have to live with until all graves are emptied at Christ's return. And brothers and sisters, that day when all graves are emptied is just as certain as I'm standing here, just as certain as you're hearing my voice, just as certain as the tomb is empty. What hope that should give us? What hope that gives to God's people? For those of you who have loved ones who have gone before you to the grave, for some of you that is several, There is no greater news this morning, no greater news than what those women uncovered when they showed up at the tomb, that it was empty. The young man uh, who's identified here, and Matthew is an angel, he knows why they're there. You seek Jesus who was crucified. He was here. He was dead. He was in this place, but not anymore. He has risen. He is not here. So it's those six words that give us hope. They are the very foundation of our faith. The words, He is risen, establish Christ as Lord and Savior of all. Death does not have the final say. Our God has the final say. So what prompted the Apostle Paul to write that if Christ is not raised and our faith is in vain, the best news that we could ever hear whether we have faced the loss and suffering of death or we will face this in the future, are those words, he is risen. Another thing we notice as these women approach the tomb, they're questioning amongst themselves, uh, is that they're really preoccupied with death. We see it in their dialogue and their their response uh, response to the disciples who have just abandoned their Lord went into hiding. No one expected Jesus to actually do what he said he was going to do. So the disciples are demoralized. The women are going, to, going in love to show their love to Jesus at the tomb. But he was gone. So they're living in that, that grief and consigned to give Jesus a proper burial, but acting upon and living as if death is the end. I want you to think how this characterizes our own perspective of life and what, we, what it is we fill our days with. Um, again, but before I, I go too deeply into that, we need to be reminded that God has given each one of us one life to live. Um, he tells us that, that man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And even in that very verse, it should tell us that there, there's more to come after physical death. More that we ought to be preparing for. Give us a sense of of urgency to work hard, to to play hard, to to cherish each moment as a gift from God. Begin practicing for what is to come. Now is the time. Now is the time to lay hold of the life that God has given to you. Not for some definite end, but for life that continues in the presence of our Maker. And we need, we need this truth sealed upon our hearts, don't we? Um, if we're honest, and I know if I'm honest with myself, 
that's not the way that I live out my days. Um, we, we view death more like the king of terrors, it says in Job chapter 14. The king of terrors. Where we are, we're resolved and have this great fear of death. And we, we don't want to admit it, but it seems to be you know, ingrained in our very being nonetheless. A fear that the end of this physical life is all that there is. That's interesting. We work so hard to make ourselves comfortable here and now, be considered successful, pad a little bit for retirement or make it to retirement, take life a little easier, and yet we are deathly afraid that this is all there is to enjoy. You know how you see that in yourselves? How you see that in the culture around us? We ignore the things that we're most afraid of. We don't want to think about death, particularly our own. And so we stay, we stay busy with the things of life. And we, we, we get into our, our routines and we give greater attention to, to our bodies now as a way of ignoring death and suppressing the fear of it. We just take, a, take a look around. Take a look around the community. Sherwood, Jacksonville, North Little Rock. It's very clear the gods that we worship, what it is we fear. You'll see shop after shop that offers care for the hair or skin tone or painting of the body or piercing of the body. Not to mention the things that we inhale and absorb into the body for some relief, some escape. We don't want to die. We want to live right now. Don't talk to me about death. It's also why so few people in this country have some sort of a will. Because it forces them to look Think about death. We can't escape this fear. I mean, what, what happens when we die? We don't know, so we don't talk about it. Um, the frenzy of the events of this last week in the life of Jesus, these verses thrust death not as an end, but as a beginning, as a change from one glorious existence to another. So we're not to be living for the end and consumed with death when God the Father is consumed with life. The risen Son, consumed with life. Our God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when this body takes its last breath, it's but a transition, a transition into the presence of God while the mortal body waits for immortality. Our God is the God of life. And the life that he has given to each one of us in Jesus does not end at death. And that should shape the way that we live right now. It should enable us to sacrifice a few things now. To give. To, to let go of those things that we may be holding on so tightly to. Because we're going to have all eternity to, to work and play and worship our risen King. Maybe we take ourselves a little less seriously in light of the life we know that has no end. But for those following Jesus, this was the end. Um, even though there were some Jewish uh, folks in the time who generally thought, well, a resurrection could happen in general at the end of time, but for one person to rise, that would be absolutely ridiculous unless there was sufficient uh, evidence, lots of it, for an empty tomb. We see in these verses that the Tomb Raider indeed has come. Maybe you've heard of the, 
the Valley of the Kings, a desert valley in the southern part of Egypt, where many of the ancient pharaohs were buried. And in the early 20s, uh, excavating party went back there, and they found the, the tomb of King uh, Tutankhamun. Tut is a lot easier, King Tut. And it was the most well-preserved tomb that they had discovered. And once, once they got inside of just this, uh, this, this, the air that came rushing out of smelling of perfume and the fragrance of all the things that had been put in this tomb 3,000 years ago. And as they uh, excavated the site and the Egyptologists looked around and they could see uh, that the tomb had been broken into before. There were things thrown around, thrashed about, things that had been... Uh, taken. And so they thought, well, is King Tut even going to be here? If everything else is looking like this, uh, they, they really wondered. But they found underneath a big statue uh, a coffin, and there inside was King Tut. Um, the mummified uh, remains of this king. 3,000 years he'd been sitting in that same place, had not been moved, right where, right where he had been sent. But on the morning that these women went back to the tomb where Jesus had been laid, it had been robbed. It hadn't been 3,000 years. It had only been three days. 3,000 years, there's plenty of opportunity, right? And there's nothing left except maybe a few linens that have been wrapped around Jesus' body. And Mark makes a special note that the stone used to cover the tomb was very large, not easily moved. The other gospel writers attribute this to an earthquake or the angels moving the stone away. Mark just says that they couldn't do it. They were asking themselves, who's going to roll it away? All of us together couldn't do this. His point was God had to do it. God had rolled away the stone. This was his doing. Jesus had said that, that the Son of Man would rise. Mark chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 14, and now the tomb is empty. So it had been robbed, and God himself had done the robbing. The tomb was robbed of, of its use. Death was robbed of its power. Jesus was alive, and his disciples could see him again. And understandably, uh, these women are a bit overwhelmed at this. Certainly thankful themselves to be alive after seeing an angelic being, but they are alarmed and amazed all at the same time. Have you ever had that feeling when you're alarmed and, and amazed? The only thing I could really think of was just a couple weeks ago up at Petty Jean. And you, you look at these majestic vistas, and it's absolutely beautiful, but you're like, you're like right there on the cliff. And one, one more step, and death would be upon you. So there's this amazement, but there's also a little bit of terror mixed together. Jesus was gone. The body is missing. This is not good, but Jesus was gone. The body was missing. What the angel said is very good. So hopelessness and hope, they just collide here for these women. God had raided the tomb. Jesus had defeated death, and that means everything. See, if we take away the historical event of the resurrection, historical event of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we rip the very heart out of Christianity. All other philosophies or, or religions offer freedom and salvation, really an answer to that fear of death, by following a certain teaching. Uh, if you do this or that, if you live according to this standard, 
Usually it's a standard that you've established yourself or the religion sets for you, then you're okay. But for the Christian, it is the historical events themselves that save us. Our lives are lived in response and only in response to those historical events. So when all others are saying, well, I will do this for me, I will provide this for me, for my own righteousness, the Christian says Jesus has provided his righteousness for me. Christianity from beginning to end is what Jesus has done for us. That should motivate us. It should motivate us to do what the angel commands these women to do. Go, tell others what has happened. Because if Jesus is alive, then what he said is true, then we are alive with him. Remember what John says a little bit later, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus said. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Could that be true? No. It is true. Because the tomb is empty. Because Jesus is risen. Because of what we've read, we have robbed the tomb along with our Savior. So when the angel tells the women to go, he tells uh, to tell the disciples to Peter, we see God's amazing grace unfolding here, restoring one who had rejected him. Peter had rejected, denied the Lord Jesus. Jesus had not denied him. So Peter's already being restored. That's the central message of the empty tomb. Death has been defeated and forgiveness given to all who would take up their cross and follow Jesus. See, God completes his plan for redemption. He completes his plan for the church despite our failures. And if God's grace can extend to a, to a traitor like Peter, if his grace can extend to someone like me and like you, to all others who repent, before the Lord, believing that it is only in the finished historical events of Jesus' death and resurrection that we have life. We can live without fear. Because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. We're going to sing that in just a couple minutes. So again, how do we respond? Mark shows us one response at the end of this gospel. It's very fitting for Mark's style. It ends abruptly with these women running away in fear, not telling anyone. Uh, and we know from the other Gospels that they wouldn't stay silent for very long, uh, that they would tell the disciples. And that word fear here, Mark uses it a dozen times, uh, and almost always it's negative. Okay, so, so the women here are not being held out as a model example to follow, showing them as, as being afraid, uh, not in reverence and awe. He's saying they're scared. They ran away. Now what? And it's the now what that he leaves us to answer. Okay? How are you going to respond to this? Many run away silent and scared, most of them, in the Gospel of Mark. What will you do with this news? That's where we get extended endings like that uh, of Mark um, 16, 9 through 20. They come into play here. Many believe that Mark's Gospel ended too abruptly, that it wasn't finished. And so they had to sort of finish it for him. Um, kind of precipitated endings like this. They may have copied and pasted it in. Um, but how will you finish the story? How will you and I respond to the words, He is risen? 
That's Mark's goal. He's inviting us into that story to examine our hearts and respond in faith and go. Go tell someone about it. Don't just disappear in fear, but tell someone of the empty tomb. The people of God, no attempts to explain away the resurrection have succeeded. None of them ever will succeed. The tomb was empty. No Jew or Roman had had been able to produce a body up to this point. Based on the reliable testimony of many who saw the Lord Jesus after his resurrection, we see the church growing today, a church that has endured, a church that continues to grow grounded in the historic events of Jesus' resurrection. Death does not have the final say. So in the midst of the pain and suffering that you're maybe experiencing right now or you'll experience tomorrow, we must be reminded that the king is alive. Sacrifice has been made. Our forgiveness is secure. We must preach to ourselves and to the world. Long live the king. So we're going to try this. I know this is a little risky. I haven't been up here for very long. But if, you, but if you mean that, I want you to say it like you mean it. Okay? The price has been paid. Our forgiveness has been paid in full. It is secure. Long live the King. Amen and hallelujah. Father, we do thank you for this great word. We thank you that the tomb was empty. That our Lord Jesus now reigns in glory. And that we reign with him. Lord, it is only in Christ that we who go to the grave will, will rob it of its power. For you have done this for us. We thank you for this word, Lord, and we thank you for uh, bringing us together uh, in this place and on this day for worship. And may we go in your grace. In Christ's name, amen.